Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Jesus the healer. This is lesson number four. I uh, felt a strong need to really get more involved in talking about this ministry of our Lord. But first, a quick review of some of the things that we've already talked about. And number one, we started by talking about how the Bible can be summed up in one word or one name. And what's that name? Because the Old Testament gives us a revelation of preparation for Jesus. The Gospels give us the manifestation of Jesus. The book of Acts gives us the proclamation of his message. And then the epistles give us an explanation of his finished work in redemption. And then, of course, the book of Revelation gives us what? I'm just seeing if you pass the test. <laughs> Consummation of his kingdom, right? The consummation. Aren't you glad that we're heading in that direction? Amen. Amen. And he's coming soon. We also talked about how Jesus has entered into his present day ministry at the right hand of God. And what is it? It's fivefold. High priest, mediator, advocate, intercessor, and surety or the guarantee of the new covenant. So in other words, he's not just kicked back and sitting there doing nothing. He's operating as our high priest and mediator and alms, all those that we just mentioned. Well, we also talked about how he's the high priest of our confession. In the book of Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1 from the New King James Version, it says he's the high priest of our confession. And then we talked about how we confess Jesus before man. He confesses us before the Father. Remember Matthew 10, 32 that says that? If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. Aren't you glad that when you said yes to Jesus, I confess you as my Savior and Lord, that Jesus looked over to the Father and said something like, Yep, I'm his Savior. His name's Bill. And I'm his Savior. I confess him as one of ours. Isn't that good to know? And then we talked about how salvation also involves believing and confessing. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lordship of Jesus... For what the heart man believes to righteousness, we believe to righteousness. We don't work for it. We don't earn it. We believe unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So we got these two things working together. You believe it in your heart and say it with your mouth. Now, we also talked about how the mouth and the heart have got to be in sync. Because Jesus said in Matthew 15, 8, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So notice it's not just one thing. It's not just if you say the right thing. You have to believe in your heart and you have to say it with your mouth. And these two have to harmonize and be in agreement with the word of God. And so it's important that we understand that aspect of it. And then we'll talk about that a little bit more. But also Jesus himself taught this principle. He was the greatest faith teacher that I know of. In Mark eleven twenty three, he made it very clear. You've got to believe in your heart. That what you say with your mouth will come to pass and you will have whatever you say. Wherever he taught faith, like in Luke 17, verse 6, he talked about, if you had faith, you would say to this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root, planted to the sea, and it would obey you. Isn't that what he taught? Isn't that what he said? It sounds easy, doesn't it? It's not. Mm -mm. That's why I'm going to ask Brother Chuck to order a bunch of duct tape when this service is over. <laughs> For all of us. Because we're all going to need it. <laughs> now, one of the most important things before we continue with our study is this. We find in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Paul, I believe, wrote it, but if you don't, that's okay. He hath said, 
Who's he hath said? God hath said. What did he say? I will never leave you nor forsake you by any degree that you may boldly say. Say what? The Lord is my helper. And so here's the principle. Everything we say must be rooted and grounded in what God had said. We're not manufacturing things. We're not making up things to say. We found out what God said, and then we say what he said, because he's the high priest of our confession, means saying the same thing. Did you ever read this verse in Joel 3 and verse 10 that says, Let the weak say, I'm so weak. I'm not going to make it through the day. Let the weak say what? That doesn't make any sense, does it? We see it's not sensible, it's not reasonable, it's not logical. Let the weak say, I am strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Now, as we continue our study, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13. And remember this. You know, we, have you heard this expression before? Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Look, with every doctrine of the Bible, there's a ditch on one side and a ditch on the other side. You've got people that have abused what you're about to hear today and just they're in this one ditch over here. And I've absolutely destroyed the message. you got those on the other side that absolutely refuse to even think about it or believe it. But you know, there is a straight and narrow. There is a straight and narrow. And it's important that we're open enough to hear it and understand it. And I'll tell you what, I can only tell you as far as I'm concerned what this means to me. You know, and you've heard me say it before, but for sake of others, maybe by live streaming on a, a podcast or whatever. When, when Andrew was born without a left pulmonary artery and they said he doesn't have one and he can't live. You know, Krista and I took Mark eleven twenty four, Whatever you desire when you pray, believe you receive them and you shall have them. Which is based on verse 23 that says you've got to believe it in your heart and say it with your mouth. And so we asked God to give him right there at Children's Hospital in that room to give him a left pulmonary artery. And we said, Lord, you said believe you receive when you pray. I believe we receive. And we thank you. He can't believe for himself, so we believe. And I believe, she believes. And we thanked him for a left pulmonary artery. And she made up a left pulmonary artery song and sang it every day, all day long. Not going to, but he has one. Thank you for his left pulmonary artery. Thank you that it's growing and open. But they said he can't live. He doesn't have one. They lost him twice. Well, guess what? In nine months, usually that's how long it takes for a child to, from beginning to end, he grew a left pulmonary artery to normal size in nine months. And when the doctor did that next catheterization, he was absolutely beside himself. This has never happened before. Now, is that coincidental? I don't think so. But is it easy? Absolutely not. Is it challenging? Absolutely. So look at this verse with me, if you wouldn't mind. Here's another verse that reveals to us this truth. Faith has to do with what we believe and what we say. We having the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believed and therefore I kept my mouth shut. I wouldn't dare say anything. No, I believe and therefore have I what? Spoken. We also believe and therefore what? Speak. Once again, the verse connects the heart and the mouth and believing and speaking. So in other words, we could look at it this way. Faith has three components. Number one, faith, you have to hear it. Faith comes how? Hearing. You've got to then believe it. How can we believe if we haven't heard? And then the last one is the action of faith. And the primary action of faith is speaking, what we say. Uh, and you'll see that play out in the scriptures. But before I go any further in this study, I've got to give you an illustration of something else that can very much hinder our faith. And you know what? In the body of Christ, it's, trust me, I'm not there. The only one I know that's perfected in this faith movement and faith, living by faith was Jesus. Amen. Only one. Matter of fact, he can do this. Peace be still. And a hurricane has got to stop. Right? He's the one that gave a perpetual decree to the waters, the waters of the ocean. They shall not pass over. And guess what? They don't. Perfectly developed in it when he walked upon the earth, right? 
This other thing that really hinders us, I believe, and if we're all truthful, we could all admit it, is something called mental assent. It is mentally agreeing with something and thinking that that's heart faith. That's not necessarily heart faith. Just because someone says, yeah, I agree to that. Or I even believe that. And the best way I think I've ever heard it explained, um, this illustration was used by Billy Graham and some others, you know, years ago. He put it like this. Let's just say we have a ravine that's 300 feet down right here. And there's a tightrope from here to the first pew, right? And a fellow says to maybe a bunch of people like we have here today, how many of you believe that I can walk across that tightrope? Let's just say a majority of people put up their hand and say, yeah, well, you can do that. We believe it. Okay, and he does it. I mean, quick. Then he gets back and says, um, how many of you believe that I can take this wheelbarrow and go across this tightrope with it? More people put their hands up. Man, this guy is really amazing. Great. And then he goes and does it, and, and he says, I've got 200 pounds of rock, or 250 pounds, let's put it that way. How many believe that I can walk across with the 250 pounds in this wheelbarrow? Once again, almost all the people put their hands up. Well, we saw you do it two times before this, I'm sure you could do it. So he does it. Then lastly, he says, how many believe I can put someone in this wheelbarrow and walk across it? Everybody puts their hand up. Okay, Sherry, get in. <laughs> See, now Sherry, I know that she knows the word, so she'd probably just jump right on in, right? No. This is the difference between faith and mental assent. Oh, I agree that you can do it. But if you really believed it, you'd get in. And there's where we got to work on the heart. What kept them out of the promised land? Unbelief. Unbelief. And we'll see a little bit about that as well. But it's so important to understand. We can say, I, am, I agree. I believe. But what we're saying is, yeah, I can agree with it. But do I really believe it from my heart? Which is why Jesus said, you want to talk to that mountain? Tell it to go. You got to believe from your heart. You got any doubt there? It's not going to work. Can you see that? I'm, I believe I'm quoting scripture. Well, do you know that, uh, look at Romans chapter 10. We, we, you should know these scriptures by heart. If you don't, then you'll learn them. How then do we develop our faith walk? How do we develop faith? Well, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, which is about how we got saved. How then shall they call upon him whom they've not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah, or Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So it's important that we recognize where faith comes from. And it's, it comes from hearing and hearing the Word of God, which is why we're always gathering together like this to hear the Word of God over and over again. And that's why you're at home hearing the Word of God over and over again, because that's how faith comes. It's not something that comes and stays with you. It's like your energy. You've got to keep on feeding on natural food. Same thing with the spiritual food. Okay, well, it's important to understand that we need to have an understanding of the Word of God, and we need to hear it over and over again. Because even though we have knowledge, it doesn't mean that we retain faith. You retain knowledge, but you don't retain faith. Faith is depleted unless we continue to hear the Word of God. So if I want to have faith in a specific subject, i got to hear it over and over again. Also, this is true. Do you know that signs, wonders, and miracles are wonderful, but they don't necessarily produce faith in a person's life? Let me show you that. I'll give you Old Testament and New Testament. Now, they may inspire, they may contribute, but they don't produce the kind of faith that comes from the Word of God. Look in the book of Numbers, chapter 14, verses 11. Start, look at verse 11, then 22, and then 28. 
The Lord said to Moses, how long will this people provoke me? You know, they came out of Egypt. They went through the wilderness. They uh, went through the Red Sea, and they're now before the uh, Promised Land. How long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I showed among them? All the ten plagues in Egypt, uh, cloud by day, fire by night, 4,500 tons of manna coming out of heaven, 11 million gallons of water coming out of a rock, the parting of the Red Sea, saw all those signs and all those wonders. He said, how long before they believe me or my word? Look at verse 22. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, have tempted me now these ten times and have not hearkened to my voice. You remember that story? How the ten spies said, we can't do it. We're grasshoppers. There's giants, there's walled cities. We can't do it. Joshua Caleb said, yes, we can. And the ten said, no, we can't. And the ten convinced all the uh, two and a half million, we can't. We can't do this. It's impossible, right? You ready for it? This is going to sell the duct tape. Look at verse 28. Saying to them, as truly as I live. Oh, God's saying that. Saith the Lord, as you have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. It gets quiet when you read that verse. And the ten spies, you've heard this over and over again. He said to them, you're the ones that caused my people to doubt me, to have unbelief. And you're the leaders of the tribes. They died by the plague immediately. Tongues, their tongues and jaws were eaten not by worms. Look at John Gill's commentary. You'll see it. And navel, heart and mouth were eaten out because they convinced all the other people. We can't do it. You see how important it is to recognize the fact that if you're going to teach and share the word of God with people, someone says, you know, you teach faith. Well, I, better than not doubt and unbelief. You teach God wants you healthy. Well, I'm better than God wants you sick. God wants you to prosper. Better than God wants you poor. Jesus preached the gospel, the good news to the poor, right? So it's important we understand that verse we should have on our refrigerator somewhere. As you have spoken in my ears, that's what I'm going to do to you. Joshua and Caleb had a different spirit about them. Caleb said, I brought back word as it was in my heart. What was your word? We can do it. God's on our side. Is this all biblical? Joshua chapter 14. You could read it for yourself. So give me my mountain. Is it coincidental that the other one stayed out and the other ones got in? I don't think so. Look at Mark's gospel chapter 8. Now just to show you how frail we are. Do you believe you're frail as a human being? We're all frail, aren't we? These are some serious statements that we need to hear. Because this is how we are. Look at Jesus just got done feeding 5,000, 4,000, etc., etc. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we have no bread. Well, they had one loaf. But probably not enough for all of them in the boat. I mean, there's 12 of them plus Jesus, right? There's 13. And when Jesus knew it, he said to them, Why reason ye because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, the, neither understand. Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not. Having ears, hear ye not. And do you not remember when I break the five loaves among the 5,000? How many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said to him, twelve. And when the seven among 4,000, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, seven. And he said to them, how don't you understand? You just saw me multiply all this food, and you think I'm complaining about a loaf of bread? You don't think I can do that right here among us? How quickly we go back into the natural realm in which we live. See, we think we got it, but you know what? The heart of man 
It's pickle. It's fickle. You don't stay there just because you saw a miracle. Miracles are wonderful. But the just shall live by not just miracles, but by faith. They couldn't even hold on to that faith for a moment. Look at the, the faith of David. Look at 1 Samuel 17 to show you the principle here. Now, am I saying this is easy for anybody? Absolutely not. We all have to train ourselves and our senses to believe God. You'll see that in a moment also. But, oh, glory to God, I can't begin to tell you the miracles that have taken place as a result of, of understanding these truths. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, you know the story of David and Goliath? You know, when you're growing up, you think that he killed Goliath with a stone, but he really didn't. You know, it was with words, which you'll see right here. And Goliath is now coming and he's talking to all the people of Israel, the armies of Israel. He defies the armies and, you know, they're all afraid. Saul is probably shoulders, head and shoulders taller than anybody in the Israeli army. He's their leader. He's their king. And he's not going to respond to, to, um, to Goliath because he's afraid of him. Okay, so as they talk, behold, Goliath, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, came forth from the Philistine ranks and spoke the same words. Notice, they spoke the same words as before. And David heard them. Oh, now, what, wait a minute. Now, David heard the same thing that these people had been hearing for a long time. Right? His response is a little bit different. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him terrified. Hmm. And the Israelites said, have you seen this man who has come out? Surely he has come out to defy Israel. And the man who kills him... The king will enrich with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free from taxes and service in Israel. And David said unto the men standing by him, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God and the men told him, thus shall it be done for the man who kills him. Okay, what were the things that would be done? Number one, great riches. Number two, his daughter. Number three, no taxes. So here was the incentive. If you kill him, you get the money, the honey, and you get tax-free living. Everybody else, they were terrified. Right? Everyone was terrified. David stops right there and just says, huh, is there not a cause? As you read on. Go on down to verse 41. So now here we have the battle. The Philistine came on and drew near to David, the man who bore the shield going before him. And someone says his shield was over a hundred and some pounds. And when the Philistine looked around and saw David, he scorned and despised him, for he was but an adolescent with a healthy reddish color and a fair face. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you should come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Notice he said to David, Come to me and I will. I will. I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the, the beasts of the field. I will. So what we see here is that Goliath was basing his uh, winning percentage on the fact that he was huge, he was skilled, he had all this armor. You know, they say his spearhead weighed almost 17 pounds, just the spearhead. 17 pounds? Think about that. He was a warrior from his youth, okay? And so, here I am. This is a piece of cake. This little kid. All right, go on down to verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine. He's not afraid. You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the ranks of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will smote you and cut off your head and I will give the corpses of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. 
Pretty bold words from a kid, wouldn't you say? Now, I don't think that before he said those words, he called his pastor up and said, that message you preached on faith, what am I supposed to say? I don't think he did that. Do you think he did that? You know where that came from? His heart. They that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. He blurted that out from his heart with his mouth because he was developed and schooled. And we'll talk about that in a moment. He released it because that's what he believed from his heart and said with his mouth. Look at the next, 48 through 51. When the Philistine came forward to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. Everybody else was running away from him. David was running to him. Was there not one person in the Israeli army that understood their covenant with God? Was there not one that understood the fact that God said, I will defend you, I will, I will fight for you? Remember Moses said that? Your God will fight for you? Did he remember that? I guess not. David put his hand to his bag and took out a stone and slung it, and it struck the Philistine, sinking into his forehead. And he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and with the stone and struck down the Philistine and slew him, but no sword was in David's hand. So he ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of the sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their mighty champion was dead, they fled. Hmm. It wasn't the stone or the sword. It was the words that he spoke. Because you see, the words that he spoke, God inhabits the praises of his people, and he honors the word that's spoken. He knew that he enlisted help from heaven to overcome. Now, what the beauty of it is this. When Saul, Saul's no help. When he rehearsed those, rehearsed those words before Saul, and they told him that David's going to come and fight, and he said, can we pull up those verses? Look at, look at what it says here. Saul says, you can't fight. When David's words were heard, they were repeated to Saul, and he sent him for him. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of this Philistine. Your servant shall go out and fight with him. And Saul said to David, you're a mighty warrior. I appreciate your courage. Thank you for saving Israel. You are not able to go fight against this Philistine. That's encouraging. You are only an adolescent and he's been a warrior from his youth. And David said to Saul, now notice his words. Your servant kept his father's sheep. And when there came the Detroit Lions, or again, a Chicago Bear, and took the lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and smote it and delivered the lamb out of its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and smote it and killed it. Your servant killed the Detroit Lions and the Chicago Bears and this uncircumcised New York giant, Philistine, shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, The Lord who delivered me out of the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and I'll prepare your funeral. <laughs> we'll make it nice. Yeah, you think he really meant the Lord be with you? Yeah, the Lord be with you. Right. You think he really believed he killed the lion and the bear? Would you rehearse that yourself? There have been some bears uh, sightings around here recently. You know that. What about a lion? He chases the lion down, takes the, the lamb out of its mouth, and then the lion turns on him. He, caps, he gets it by its beard and kills it. Wow. You talk about faith. And so when he tells this to Saul, he said, no different. Why am I bringing this out? Because he had experience in God. That's why. I believe that David, when he washed his father's sheep at night, you know, this comes by meditation. 
I'm sure he went through this process where he said, I watch these sheep every night. I care for them. They're my own. They're our families. I give my life to them. I'll protect them. And he showed it. A lion, a bear, etc. But guess what? Who's my shepherd? Who watches over me? Let me think this through. I got it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for God is with me. His rod is staff. They comfort me. He prepares the table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, because I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So let the lion come. Let the bear come. It doesn't matter to me. How did David develop this kind of faith? Well, since you asked, Hebrews chapter 5 will give us a little bit of insight. Through meditation, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God. Isn't that what the psalmist said? The meditation of my heart, the words of my mouth, be acceptable in your sight. These verses in the Amplified Bible give us some insight. Concerning this, we have so much to say, much to say, which is hard to explain since you have become dull in your spiritual hearing and sluggish, even slothful in achieving spiritual insight. For even though by this time you ought to be teaching others, you actually need someone to teach you again the first principles of God's word. You have come to need milk, not solid food. For everyone who continues to feed on milk is obviously inexperienced and unskilled in the doctrine of righteousness, of conformity to the divine will in purpose, thought, and action. For he's a mere infant, not able to talk yet. But solid food is for full-grown men, for those whose senses and mental faculties are trained. Wow. Just want to stop it right there. His senses and mental faculties are trained. You know what I say about Joshua and Caleb? Their senses and mental faculties were trained. Because you see, they were the two out of two and a half million people that could say, hey, don't talk like that. Come on. I know they're big. I know there's walls. I know there's warriors. But God's on our side. They were trained. They trained themselves by meditating in the word. And that's exactly what David did. He had an understanding of his covenant. And when it seems like as though it's unreasonable, I know, walk around the walls of Jericho and you can win. Really? That's not logical. That's not reasonable. No, I've got to train myself to realize, yes, it doesn't look good. But, remember Jehoshaphat? Three armies are coming against us, the devil, the world, and the flesh. They're coming against us. But you know what? The Lord said we don't have to fight in this battle. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. It's illogical. It's unreasonable. We'll send out the praisers. Come on, praise team. Get out there and fight all the enemies that are out there. Doesn't sound logical. But if you say... He fights for us. Because you see, the battle's his, not mine. That's what Joshua and Caleb knew. And when they declared their faith, guess what? God intervened. Now, you don't have to turn to this verse, or we, we have to put it up. How did David develop his faith? You notice in that verse 26 of chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, he said, who is this uncircumcised? You know what that means? He has no covenant with the living God. He made no agreement with him. He has no covenant with him. He's acting on his own. But I, I know my God. I've got a covenant with him that he honors and he will keep. He knew that. Look at Psalm 89, verse 34 to 37. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that's gone out of my mouth. Once I have sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever. His throne shall, as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon and as a faithful witness in heaven. Selah. 
When God says, I made a covenant with you, David, you can count on me, you can depend on me, and you can trust me. You could lean upon me. Don't lean on your own understanding. Trust me with your heart. And that's exactly what David did. And so he learned that as a young boy, as he sat under the stars, as he meditated the scriptures, as he protected his father's sheep, and realized that the Lord is his shepherd. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 7. God is a covenant-keeping God who will keep covenant with those that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Let's read it. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. Someone once said, well, I wish we were the holy people. You are. You are. Read 1 Peter chapter 5. It tells you. You are a holy nation, royal, royal priesthood, right? A peculiar people, a chosen nation. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any, for you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath, let's not forget that, he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, know, something he wants us to know, what? That the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, which keeps covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments unto a thousand generations and repays them that hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack to him that hateth him. He will repay him to his face. Thou shalt therefore keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments when I command thee this day to do them. Wherefore it shall come to pass, if you hearken to these judgments and keep and do them, the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he sware unto thy fathers. He will love thee and bless thee and multiply thee. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, your corn, your wine, your, thine oil the increase of your kind and the flocks of your sheep in the land which he sware unto your fathers to give you. Thou shalt be blessed above all people. There shall not be male or female bearing among you or among your cattle. And the Lord will take away from you some sickness. All sickness and will put none of the blessing diseases. Someone I heard say this is a bless, this disease is a blessing. Not according to God, they're evil. Evil diseases, which thou knowest upon thee, but I'll lay them on all them that hate you. In other words, they won't come on you, I'll let them come on them. So notice here, David understood his covenant. He knew what God would and would not do. He wasn't acting in foolishness or presumption. He was stepping out in faith. And then, Anybody know this verse, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8? Jesus Christ the same. Is he the same today as he was yesterday? Well, how was he yesterday? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to do what? Preach the gospel to the poor. Heal the brokenhearted. Preach deliverance to the captive. Recovering sight to the blind. Set at liberty to bruise. And preach the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of Jubilee. So yesterday we could say that Jesus... Did what? He preached, he healed, he delivered, he recovered, he also liberated and proclaimed. What will he do tomorrow? What will he do today? The same thing. God doesn't change. The one who changes is us. We change. That's always been his program. Why does he want to move in the earth? So he can preach good news to the poor. So he can heal the brokenhearted. So he can deliver those who are captive. So he can liberate those that are bound. So he can proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, which is freedom to all. And he's not changing. And he never will change. What's the problem then? Well, the problem is, once again, it's important we understand our need to develop in the finished work of Christ. Christ has completed his mission. I have fulfilled and completed the work that you gave me to do, his he told his father. Look at Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6. The Israelites had a wonderful covenant with God that provided for them many things. Brought in the Messiah as well. But that covenant has ended because Jesus in his finished work has fulfilled it. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry. How, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. 
Jesus is the surety of the new covenant. Remember, he's the high priest, mediator, advocate, intercessor. Look at Hebrews 7.22. He is the surety. By so much was Jesus made, the word surety means ironclad guarantee. He stands behind every word of the covenant. His blood provides for us faith, assurance within our heart that whatever he spoke, he will fulfill. And even though it may not look like it, feel like it, remember, we walk by faith, not by what? Sight. Now, in, we will turn to these in Hebrews. And if you've never studied this, if you're here, you've studied this many times. God swore by an oath to Abraham, but to let us know the heirs of promise, the, the immutability of his counsel. In other words, he doesn't change. He swore by an oath. And by the oath that he swore, he made a covenant with the human race through the blood of Jesus Christ. So he stands behind every word of the covenant. When Oral Roberts had his stroke, he was taken to a New York library where he looked up everything he could on blood covenant. And when he looked up blood covenant and realized that he was in a blood covenant with God, that's how he got his healing from that stroke. He didn't go to a meeting somewhere where somebody laid hands on him and whatever. And I'm not opposed to that. That's great. If we can do that, that's wonderful. But notice he got an understanding of the blood covenant. He fed on it and fed on it and fed on it. And he finally said, you know what? By your stripes, I'm healed. And he rose up healed from the effects of a stroke as a result. Now, in conclusion here, if you're, if you're sitting there shuddering because you think I'm going to go all these scriptures, I'm not. Those are for you to take home and look over for yourself. But these next few, I want, I want you to see with me. Because when it comes to what am I supposed to believe in my heart and say with my mouth, my body opposes it. Your soul, your mind will oppose it. But the point is we walk by faith, not by what? Sight, feelings, emotions, the five physical senses and all that. If we, if we limit God to our five senses, we're in trouble. If we limit God to what man can do, we're in trouble. Thank God for what man can do when we use what man can do. But man can only do so much, right? They couldn't grow a left pulmonary artery, that's for sure. They told me that. It's impossible. Well, thank God all things are possible with him. So look at Isaiah 53, just these couple verses. We'll close here in a moment. Who has believed what we have heard? Who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him. No appearance that we should desire him. He was despised, rejected of men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone People turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet himself bore our sicknesses. He carried our pains. But we did in turn regarded him, but we in turn regarded him as struck down, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions. He was crushed because of our iniquities. He was punished because our for our for our peace was upon him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went away like sheep. We have all turned to our own way. And the Lord punished him for the iniquity of us all. Did we hear that? Is that a fairy tale? Or is that a fact of his redemptive work? He became sickness for us. He became sin, mental anguish, and sickness. That's all three parts of man's being. His spirit, sin, Sickness, his body, and soul is chastisement of our peace was upon him. Mental wholeness. Look at Matthew, just in case I know that there are many that say that's not true. It's not part of the covenant. Well, okay. Let's see what Matthew says by the Holy Ghost. That evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. He cast out the spirits with a simple command, and he healed all the sick. How many of the sick? This fulfilled the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah who said, who said this? Isaiah, by the Holy Ghost. He took our sicknesses and removed our diseases. 
This is important to appreciate because you know why? This is a part of his suffering. Look at the next one in 1 Peter 2.24. Who his own self bear sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live to righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Many don't want to separate those two, one for sin and one for sickness. But by his stripes we were healed. So, the problem is we can agree to it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we have heart faith. You know why? Because when your body tells you something other, it's not easy, is it? Now, you're ready for the climax here? Look at Revelation 12, 11. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by their unbelief. And by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their life unto the end, unto death. So, the blood of the Lamb means all the covenant rights that we have in Christ. The word of our testimony means, I believe it, but I don't just mentally assent to it. I really believe it from my heart. And so, what am I going to say? Now, follow me along as I read these to you. Now, I just encourage you to take these home. Look them over for yourself. You could take Psalm 91, for example. Whatever we say must be rooted and grounded in what he said. So what did he say? With long life will I satisfy you and show you my salvation. So say it with me. With long life he satisfies me. Is that wrong to say? Did he say it? Then I have a right to say it. Okay. Okay. You, it says in Psalm 103, one of the benefits is he heals all our diseases. So just say it. You heal all my diseases. Is it wrong for me to say that? No, I believe that. But for that to materialize, I've got to believe it from my heart and say it with my mouth. Look at the next one. There's not one feeble among my tribe. I got a tribe of six. There's not one feeble among my tribe. If that's what he said. There won't be one feeble among your tribe. You sent your word and healed me and delivered me from my destructions. I will not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. Your words are life to me and health to all my flesh. Thank you for restoring health to me and healing me of every wound. Sickness shall not come back a second time. Name 1-9. Your spirit has given life to my body. I'm redeemed from all sickness and blessed. My prosperity and health are your delight and desire. Praise God. So let's never forget that we can say what he said if we believe him in our heart and say it with our mouth. What's that last verse again in Numbers 14, verse 28? What does it say? Saying to them, as truly as I live, says the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. So what are we speaking into his ears? Ask yourself that question. Be honest with yourself. What does he hear you say when you get up in the morning? Oh, dear Lord. My head is just throbbing. And another day at work. Oh my goodness. You know that fellow? Oh my heavens to Betsy. Now that all may be true. Or you could get up and just say, This is the day the Lord has made for me to rejoice and be glad in. And the joy of the Lord is my strength. No matter how many people I get around throughout the course of this day, I'm going to declare that the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I choose to be a shining light in the world of darkness and let people see the hope that is in me. And you know what? I'm going to be joyful no matter what because the light that I shine is going to be one of love and joy and peace and patience, etc., etc. What's wrong with saying something like that? Because you know what? Whatever you say out of your mouth, whatever we feed on and say, probably going to eventually happen. It happened to the Israelites. Now, I wish I had time to go to part two of this. How much time you got? Under the leadership of Moses, they couldn't get into the promised land. And what was the official reason in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 19? What was the reason? What was it? You mean it wasn't the will of God? Oh, it was what? Unbelief. And what's the warning in chapter 4 verse 1? And two, was it tell us we should be fearful that the same thing that happened to them happens to us because they didn't mix faith with the gospel, right? So you know what part two is? Under Moses, they couldn't get in. Under Joshua, they got in. Hmm, should that tell us something? What did they do there? We should learn from that example. First Corinthians chapter 10. 
What did they do under Joshua? Joshua took the ones 19 years and under and he trained them in the word of faith. You could read it in Joshua 5, 6, 5 and 6, chapters 5 and 6, and you'll find out he taught them certain biblical principles. Number one, your enemy is defeated. Number two, you've got a covenant with God. Number three, focus on where you were, where you're at, and how you got out by the hand of God. Number four, it's a brand new day. The day of man is ending. It's all over. Number five, you're not alone. you got the host of the army of the living God defending you, standing for you, fighting for you. Number six, I've already given you the land. The land belongs to you. Joshua was teaching these people after 40 years all these principles. And finally, whatever he says to do to, for you to do, do it. Even if it's illogical and unreasonable, walk around the walls of Jericho. Oh, hallelujah. So you can see this. Under Moses' leadership, he couldn't get the slavery mentality out of them. Under Joshua's leadership, he took 19 and under and instilled with them their understanding of the covenant and the word of faith that they had in God. And guess what happened? The walls came tumbling down and they got in. Isn't that great? Let's all stand together before the Lord. Hallelujah. My goodness. That was a lot for even me to digest. I'll tell you what, it makes pulmonary arteries grow. It takes infertile women and men and makes them whole. I've seen it happen time and time again. Oh, glory to God. You know what our anthem should be? Remember when the man brought his son and they couldn't heal him? He was demon-possessed and suicidal. They're going to throw him in the fire, throw him into the waters to drown him, to burn him and all that. And I went to your disciples, Lord, and they couldn't do a thing for me. I'm coming to you to see if you'll help me. Maybe you could do something. And Jesus said to him, It's not what I can do. It's what you can believe. All things are possible to him that believes. And what did he say? How dare you insult my faith? What did he say? You criticizing my faith? Don't you dare point out my flaw. Mm -mm. He didn't say that, did he? That man said these words that we should all cling to. I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. I want to get this eradicated from my life. There's the problem right there. It's not what Jesus can do. It's what we can believe. He actually said this. You ready for this one in Matthew 17, 20? You can say to that mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it would remove, and nothing, everybody say nothing, would be impossible to you. Wow. What a statement.